mean, nothing is 100% perfect, um, but, uh, but I like it. I would tell any medical student, whatever you're going into, if you're going into podiatry or dentistry or medicine or, or whatever it is, any field that you're going to do, don't go into medicine unless you love it. You have to love medicine. You have to really have a calling for it because it's hard. You're going to do four years of school. You're going to do at least three years of, of residency, no matter what you do, and possibly a lot more. You're going to do research and take tests and take board exams, and then you're going to come out and you're going to work hard, and you're going to have to either work for a big group or you're going to, you know, you're going to have to do all this business of medicine and this all this stuff that's a drag. But if you love what you do, and when you walk into the room and you sit down with the patient and you interact with them and they walk out feeling better, if that makes your day, then you know that's what, and you can imagine doing that, then, then you should go into medicine. Hello, 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 everyone. This is Dr. Richard Marn, your host for this podcast, Health Careers with Dr. Marn. That was just a little snippet of my guest interview with Dr. Ernest Isaacson, a podiatrist. This episode is actually part two of his interview. Part one can be found in the previous episode, episode number 13. And in that episode, we talk about how he thought about other careers to pursue, but eventually why and how he chose podiatry as his eventual career calling. Also in that episode, I give a little bit more background information about Dr. Isaacson if you're interested in that. But in this episode, we're going to talk more about what his career is really like, what it is like day to day, and what he enjoys and what he doesn't enjoy. So I think you're going to get a lot of gems in this and of course, just have a good time. It's it's a uh, it's just fun to talk with Ernie, just lighthearted and easy to talk to. Let's dive into it. Now you're at your practice. You're yeah. two locations, right? One's in Bronx, one's in Manhattan. Yes. What is your day like? Oh, uh, sorry. Actually, I have a third location in Suffolk a third County. location, yeah, but- in Suffolk County. So, yeah. So it depends. I mean, I have three different locations, and they're kind of diverse populations. But I could tell you what you know what I would expect to see and what I would expect to do. Um. A lot of um, podiatrists, like I said, podiatrists do a lot of diverse things. So I do anything from, I treat a lot of sports medicine. So especially in Manhattan, I deal with a lot, I run. So I deal with, I treat a lot of runners. Um, I help to optimize them. I deal with their injuries. I get them, you know, try to, you know, figure out what kind of shoes they're wearing. If I can get them orthotics, which are custom inserts for their shoes. Um, you know, dealing with fractures and injuries and, and all sorts of other things. Uh, I do with a lot of, you know, aches and pains, sprains and strains, um, skin and nail infections. Um, we do, uh, you know, and, and this is, you may not like to hear this, but we do uh, routine care for people who have nails that are just so thick and disgusting that they can't cut them themselves. And they mm. come to me for that service, uh, either because they have a condition that will put them at risk if they would cut their own nails. So let's say that somebody like who diabetes. Had, yeah, it's like diabetes. Uh, mm-hmm. And diabetics can get into real trouble from just cutting their nails. You know, they cut the nail, they slip, they don't realize it gets infected, and they can lose a toe, a leg, or worse. And these stories happen all the time. And the most common, and, you know, diabetics, and, and diabetes is a big part of the practice. Um, diabetes, diabetics, over time, can lose their sensation or it can develop very poor circulation. If that happens, they can get openings on their skin called ulcers. They're like open sores on the bottom of the foot. Um, if those get infected and they get into the bone, then that bone needs to get cut out. And that's what uh, amputations are. And that's why 70% of non-traumatic amputations worldwide are performed in diabetics. Uh, the numbers are staggering. They've actually stabilized somewhat, but uh, the you know most of the amputations worldwide are performed in diabetics. And frankly, most of it is just from stupid things. The most common event that leads to a diabetic foot ulcer is a tight shoe. 
So if I can, you know, have them in the office every three months, cut their calluses and their nails, um, get them into the right kind of shoe and make sure that they're comfortable, then we can prevent all sorts of mishaps. And it's just easy stuff. So, you know. So the, even simple things like having two types of shoe yeah. is, is what you're doing. You're just educating yeah. patients yeah. on how to choose footwear. Yeah. I mean, listen, a lot of what we do in medicine is common sense. You know, mm. when, when they go to the internist and they say, you know, eat right and don't smoke. Uh, you know, you know, your mom told you that you don't need a guy with an MD <laughs> to tell you that, you know, like, so, you know, when I, and you know, these patients come every few months and, and we, you know, try to prevent problems from happening. And when they happen, I try to minimize it. I, as a podiatrist, I am much more likely to treat, to spend a lot of time on diabetic limb salvage than other, than other specialists. Um, for me, you, you know, what do you mean by limb salvage? That means you're trying to yeah, preserve, I'm trying to, save, I'm trying to save the leg. So, save the leg. Um, other, you're seeing other practitioners. Other practitioners more... might say, like, okay, you've lost three toes. Let's, you know, let's amputate below the knee because eventually you're going to lose that leg. And that may be true. But for me, I'll say, okay, if you lost three toes, you know, now you have infection in two toes. I, I, I'm going to try to salvage as much of the limb as possible. And, you know, and the reason for that is um, because, first of all, the, lower, the more limb that they have, the more leg that they have, the less energy they use when walking. And it's been shown that if you have a more proximal amputation, if you amputate, you know, further up the leg, they actually use more energy than walking. Now there is, you know, you can get a prosthetic leg and there are ways to walk and things like that. But it's, you know, having more of the leg uses less energy. Uh, also, the uh, mortality rate for somebody who uh, has lost a leg, uh, over their survival rate actually over five years is about 40%. Um, and there's other factors that go into that too. There's comorbid conditions because these patients are generally sick uh, by this point. Uh, but uh, you know there there are multiple reasons for it. But uh, you know people don't they don't always live long. And and one of the reasons is because they've lost a leg. Also, just psychologically, you know we want to leave this world with the body mm-hmm. parts we came in with. So uh, you know so I I will generally you know do what I can to to salvage the leg as much as possible. Can um, you tell us a, a situation where you were very successful in salvaging a leg? Uh, even if it's a little gory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could tell you, like, I had this guy years ago, and um, years ago, like, I was on call for a hospital in Manhattan, and I got a call from the residents, and they said, well, this guy, he's got a really bad infection, and it's starting to track up the leg, and, you know, we want to come in and try to, you know, can we do something about it? And, you know, I said, fine. And, you know, they said, they're just, the, the medicine team is deciding what to do. And then they called me, the residents called me back, and they said, um, you know, it's, it's the, they're saying that the, this is too far gone and they're going to call the vascular team or the surgery team and they're going to do a baloney amputation. I said, like, listen, I said, and this is like on a Sunday. Um, I said, listen, like he's already lost the leg, you know, like they're saying it's already gone. So why don't we go in and try to salvage it? You know, let's try to save it. I mean, we have nothing to lose at that point. So you got to call to consult on this. Hey, we need your help. Yeah. Then you get another call later on saying, forget and, it. Don't, yeah, worry, forget about it. don't it. worry about it. It's too far gone. They're and then now you're like, wait up. a second. Let me try to do something. Yeah. So I said like, okay, it's already gone. So like, what do we have to lose? Like, let's go in there and see what we can do. So we actually, not to get too gory, but I um, mean, that's we okay. So he lost the third. It was like a really bad infection. And so we cut from sort of the bottom of the third toe. So you took him to surgery. Took him into the operating room, cut from the bottom of the third toe, took the third toe off, and then cut the foot, basically sliced from the third toe, going all the way up to the ankle. Sliced the whole foot down to bone and kind of opened it up. And it was, I mean, it was just mounds of pus. And it was, it was a really, really bad infection. It was one of the worst infections that I'd seen. We washed it out. I think we ended up doing another surgery on him while he was there. And then I ended up working with the wound. He had a wound on the top of his foot that took six months to close. Mm. But it closed and he kept his leg. Um, 
you know, the PS is like, you know, years later, he ended up, the, the leg ended up breaking down years later. And he really ended up, I'm, I'm not really sure. I have to find out. I kind of lost him to follow up. But he had at least a good 10 years of, you know, walking around on that leg. And every time he would see me, he would like give me a big hug and tell me, how much, you know, like, and, you know, like that doesn't happen every day. I mean, we have our failures and stuff like that. And especially, you know, diabetics do end up breaking down. But, um, you know, we have a lot of successes too. And it's because, you know, you've got to be willing to work with the patients and, and willing to go in and, and go in on a Sunday and open it up and, and uh, do what needs to be done. And, um, yeah, so stuff like that. And then just, you know, I have other cases. I had, you know, I had a patient that came in with a really flat foot. And, you know, she had, you know, she had pain with every step. And I did a procedure where you can actually rebuild an arch. So we built it in such a way that, you know, we, I, I did a, it was a really extensive reconstruction of her foot, you know, built her an arch and, um, you know. These so wait, the, she, her foot is actually quite flat. It was a very flat foot. ankle yeah. to toe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's really like the arch is really flat. Like the arch is like a can of the ground. Yeah. And so and you actually did surgery like to reshape her her. Right. Uh, her foot on the bottom. A series of procedures, and we, uh, or a series of procedures all in one sitting, but it was a surgery that, I don't know, it took three, four hours or something. It was a long procedure, but we did, you know, we, we did this procedure, and eventually, once she recovered, she uh, ended up on the track team and one, ended up one of the top, the top girls on the track team. You know, the, every doctor that you speak to, like, has some sort of a story, and this is why medicine is the greatest thing that you can go into, that every doctor has that story of the patient whose life you changed. And, you know, unfortunately, every doctor has a story of the one you missed. Because, you know, at some point, if you practice long enough, you know, something is, you know, unfortunately, you know, you make the, and I know we're going way off topic here, but okay. uh, from the stuff that I do every day, but um, you make the very best decision that you can with the information that you have at hand, and then you live with that decision. And sometimes that decision ends up being wrong. But, you know, you made, you made an informed decision at the time, at the time, and it was a good decision to make. And just because the outcome is bad doesn't mean the decision was bad. Um, so, you know, that's like in anything in life, except the stakes are, you know, infinitely higher uh, in medicine, or I would imagine for an airplane pilot, or, you know, for certain other fields, or yes. you know, the engineer at a nuclear power plant. Um, you know, so, you know, you're trying to make an informed decision and try to make the right decision. But, uh, but you know, every doctor has those cases where, you know, you look at it and you have somebody that you, you could just do something on or you recognize something that nobody else knew, you know. Um, I, yeah, I had a patient that came to me once who had seen, she came to me and she had, you know, terrible pain in her foot. And she had seen, she had been to the emergency room a month before and she was seen by a team of doctors. And they all said that she probably sprained her ankle and that, you know, it's going to be okay and it's not a problem. And when I looked at it, her foot looked, you know, it looked purple to me and it was a little bit cold. Mm-hmm. And I said, this doesn't look right. And I got her and I got on the phone with a vascular surgeon that I knew. And I said, this, this woman is about to lose her foot um, because she's got, a, she's got a blockage somewhere and there's not enough blood getting down to her foot. And she ended up going to the vascular surgeon like the, the very next day they opened it up and we were able to salvage most of her foot. Um, and it was like, she had been seen a month before. I mean, somebody had seen it and looked at it and said, Oh, this is just an ankle sprain. No problem. But you know, when she came to see me and now, every time I see her, she actually works at the hospital at one of the hospitals, uh, that I do surgery at. And every time I go into the hospital and I see her, she gives me a big hug and a kiss. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. thank God for second opinions, huh? Yeah. I mean, but you know, like I said, like every doctor has that story and, and the doctors who missed it, you know, like they have their story of the one you look at it. And I'm sure if I were to call them up and say like, you know, what were you guys thinking? They would probably look back and go like, you're right. It was, a, you know, we just, we missed it. And uh, doctors are human. So, yeah. So you're talking about your Manhattan practice where you have a lot of runners. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are your, all the practices very similar, even yeah. though they're different locations in terms of 
what you do and how you take care of people? So Manhattan has probably more, you know, sports medicine, younger patients, um, a lot of um, just, you know, like kind of younger, healthier patients, uh, a pretty good amount of surgery. And a lot of the surgery that I do is bunions, which is like that uh, big swelling on the big toe joint uh, and a lot of sort of other kind of reconstructive uh, surgeries like that. I have an office in Suffolk County where the population tends to be a little bit older, a lot of diabetics and a lot of the problems that go along with the diabetics, a lot of the wounds and the other things that go along with the diabetics. Um, And then uh, my Bronx office has, it's a working class neighborhood in the Bronx uh, has a, a large minority population, uh, also a large Central Asian population. So a lot of people from Bangladesh and Pakistan, uh, they tend to have high rates of diabetes. Um, so we get a lot of diabetic foot issues and then just a lot of sort of general, uh, like every office gets generalized aches and pains and sprains and strains and, you know, just little uh, skin and nail infections. And uh, But it's a diverse population. I mean, I could be seeing, you know, I could be seeing newborns or little kids with walking issues. Um, I could be seeing, you know, old ladies with just long nails that you see on your grandma Mm -hmm. Uh, and then everything in between. Uh, And it's all good. You never know what's going to come in. Uh, What's your favorite part of the day, Ernie? Um, uh, Going to sleep. No, no. (laughs) As long as it's at night when you're at home. (laughs) No, Uh, you know, I, listen, I, I really, I like what I do. I I like it a lot. And uh, it's, you know, this is a good field. I happen to like the surgery. You know, if I could do something a lot, it would be, you know, I, I really enjoy surgery. I learn, enjoy being in the operating room. I enjoy seeing the before and after. Uh, I enjoy patients' reactions when they see what, you know, what we can accomplish uh, and what we've done. Even if it's a little procedure, you know, it's, it's something that changes people's lives in a positive way. And uh, it's just a whole lot of fun. You know, Immediate I really, cause and effect. Yeah. Yeah. I like the surgery. You go in and fix it. You know, to cut is to cure. What's, uh, what is your least favorite part of what you do? Um, you know, like every, any doctor will tell you, like the paperwork is a drag, you know, writing charts and things like that, dealing with insurance companies because, you know, I mean, you don't want to get me in the soapbox of the business of medicine, but I mean, dealing with insurance companies is a drag. Um, you know, having to, there's a third party payer system that we have in this country where, you know, whatever I do has to be submitted to somebody else who decides how much I should get for that, uh, for that service. So, you know, it's a drag. It's a drag for patients and a drag for uh, me as a doctor and for other doctors. It's a drag on the economy. But, you know, I don't want to get started with my opinion on all that. But uh, but it's just, it's a drag. And the very worst part, I would say the very thing that I, which thankfully I don't have to go through a lot, but the worst part of it is there is a, there is a medical legal part to medicine. You know, there's a legal aspect of it. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, patients have the ability that if they don't like something that a doctor does, uh, patients have the ability to uh, initiate litigation. They are able to sue their doctors. And uh, it's, it's, you know, that is not fun. That part of medicine, for me, is the very worst. Um, it's a very, very, I mean, unfortunately, I've been through it. It's a very harrowing experience. And uh, I don't recommend it for anybody. And, you know, I mean, there are ways to try to avoid it. But if you, you know, if you're busy enough and you're working long enough, then, you know, there's a chance you're going to be involved in some sort of litigation, you know, at some point in your career. And, uh, yeah, it's just not a lot of fun. But uh, thankfully, uh, it doesn't happen often. Are there any uh, misconceptions about the public that they have about your career? Uh, yes, yes. Thank you for asking. So this, this is an important thing. Um, podiatry is a unique field. It's different than medicine. And there may be a lot of misconceptions. I mean, anybody who's seen Seinfeld has, you know, has their own opinion of it, you know, mm-hmm. right. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you're not a real doctor. That's not so far off. I mean, you do well, have you, to... Technically, you... Well, and actually, in actuality, you are a doctor. I am a doctor, but I'm a doctor of podiatric medicine. So I'm not an MD. I'm not a medical doctor. And, you know, so... 
Um, so there's a few things with that. So one is that people don't really know what podiatrists do. Some people think that, you know, all we do is do ingrown toenails and warts. And, you know, when in reality, you know, we do so much more than that. Uh, and part of that is the perception because, you know, like we talked about before, we were talking about the residencies, um, that there was, you know, there was very varying training for many years. So there were podiatrists that didn't really receive any sort of like real medical or surgical training. So, you know, that sort of fed into the public perception. But there is, yeah, so there is a certain perception. I, I think that I have a, you know, pretty good foundation of medicine and I'm pretty good at what I do. And and so, you know, what I've learned is that you have to sell yourself by being good at what you do. You know, be good at your own field. Be good at, at what and what you do and then the rest will come along. And the patient, the doctors that know me and the patients that know me know that they can send me things and they know that they can send me anything on the foot and the ankle. And if I can't handle it or if it's something that's beyond me, which is fine in any field, you know, any, every field, you only have a certain amount of knowledge. So it's okay to consult other specialists and it's okay to consult other doctors within your own field who may be better at handling things. So that's okay. But the perception of podiatry is that, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's sort of a lesser field and things like that. So you have to sort of sell the field. So that's kind of a drag. Um, and, you know, like, I, and I'm proud of what I do, and I'm proud to say that I am a podiatrist. Um, the other thing is, too, is like once you enter podiatry school, you're committed to podiatry, and you're committed to doing, you know, working with the foot and ankle. And if you don't like, you know, cutting old ladies' toenails and doing ingrown toes and ingrown, doing ingrown toenails and warts and, you know, all the other stuff, if you don't like that kind of stuff, then, um, you know, you're kind of stuck. So think about that. If somebody's considering a career in podiatry, go shadow a podiatrist, go be in the office and shadow me. You know, I, I have students that shadow me on a regular basis. So oh, you do. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and most of them, I would say, uh, end up, uh, moving forward and going into the field. You know, they have a great time in the office and they, and they go in and they're, and they're happy with it. And I've, you know, I have ones that are now, you know, attendings that are working and ones that are residents and, you know, and I'm, and I'm proud to say that I, you know, I, I think I influenced them in some sort of positive way or, or I tried to talk them out of it and they didn't listen to me. <laughs> young saps but they, uh, so i i i um uh yeah i mean I, I generally try to encourage them to go into the field but i i would say you definitely gotta you definitely gotta look into it um because you're, you're committed to it then at that point it's not like when you go into medicine you know if you talk to like a young college student you talk to these guys and they say i want to go into medicine what do you want to do i want to be a neurosurgeon Okay. Okay. So you're not really going to be a neurosurgeon. <laughs> Somebody who comes to me when they're, you know, a sophomore <laughs> in college and says, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. Like, okay, it's cool to say you're going to be a neurosurgeon. Like, do you really realize that you're going to be doing, you know, seven years of the most intense, grueling, miserable residency that you could possibly imagine? That's after medical school. After yes. medical school. Right. At seven. That's actually probably a short end of the training. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's a minimum of, let's say, seven years of the most intense, you know, like mind numbing residency that you're going to make, like physically demand and you have to know everything. And, you know, once you get out, you're going to be working like a diggity dog and doing, you know, 10-hour procedures routinely. And, but do you love it? You know, if you love it, then you should do it. And if you're really, you know, if that's something you can handle. So, but when somebody says to me when they're like a junior, you know, a sophomore or junior in college and they say, I'm going to be a, a neurosurgeon, I always look, look at them a little askew. If they come to me and they say, I want to be a pediatrician, I think like, okay, you're probably going to be a pediatrician. That, that's realistic. Um, but in medicine, you have, the, you have the, the liberty and the luxury of choosing your field. So you're able to, you know, go through four years of medical school and do different rotations and talk to different doctors and hopefully get into the procedure of your choice. And, you know, you may not get into dermatology or, or anesthesia because only very smart people get into that. Yeah, um, that's but, what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you um, but you can you have time to change the uh, you have time to change the road you're on, um, like, uh, you know, Robert Plant said, um, if you 
if you're getting into podiatry, though, you're committed to foot and ankle and you're committed to being a podiatrist. And, and can you look in the mirror and say, I'm a podiatrist and tell all your friends and tell your family that, you, that you're a podiatrist. And, and, you know, I can do that. And, you know, again, I, I, I love what I do and, I, and I'm, I'm proud of it and I'm proud of the work that I do. Um, you know, sometimes the stuff that I do is, you know, it's kind of a drag. I, you know, some, some of the work can be a drag, but, you know, listen, for the most part, I mean, nothing is 100% perfect, um, but, uh, but I like it. I would tell any medical student, whatever you're going into, if you're going into podiatry or dentistry or medicine or, or whatever it is, any field that you're going to do, don't go into medicine unless you love it. You have to love medicine. You have to really have a calling for it because it's hard. You're going to do four years of school. You're going to do at least three years of, of residency, no matter what you do, and possibly a lot more. You're going to do research and take tests and take board exams. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to come out and you're going to work hard and you're going to have to either work for a big group or you're going to, you know, you're going to have to do all this business of medicine and this, all this stuff that's a drag. But if you love what you do and when you walk into the room and you sit down with the patient and you interact with them and they walk out feeling better, if that makes your day, then, you know, that's what, and you can imagine doing that, then, then you should go into medicine. If that doesn't thrill you at all, then, you know, I mean, if you're smart enough to get into medical school and that work hardworking, then you could get an MBA or a law degree or, you know, any other, or, or go for work for Google and, um, you know, do very well and, uh, and still, and not have to do all this without stuff. going through right. all the stress and yeah, uh, yeah. headaches of school. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's, you know, medicine is definitely hard, but, uh, but it's worth it if it's a labor of love. In your field in podiatry, um, do you foresee any changes in the profession in the next few years? Um, I think the profession is getting better because the training is, is so much better. Like the residents that graduate now are so much better trained and it's, it's, it's more uniform training. One big thing that they've been talking about in podiatry for years is something called parity, where they're trying to... Parity? Parity, meaning making podiatry more on an equal footing with other types of, with other medical specialties. Because right now, podiatry is sort of a different field. So they want to, you know, sort of bump up the, the training a little bit so that podiatrists can get something more akin to a medical degree than a doctor of podiatric medicine. I don't know if that's actually going to happen or if it's going to have really any practical effect on the day-to-day life of a podiatrist. Um, but other than that, you know, the changes in podiatry are the changes in medicine, which is that, you know, who knows how the business of medicine is going to change. You know, it's definitely changed over the past, you know, 20 years or so. There's more managed care. Um, there's, you know, people are more conscious about the costs of medicine and the spending and budgets and things like that. So, you know, that's going to change. You know, that business of medicine is certainly going to evolve. However, I think it's always going to be you know, unless things change dramatically, unless we really get some single payer system, um, which I don't think would be a bad thing, but that's another conversation. Yeah, I don't think that. Um, I think medicine's always going to be a comfortable living. I think it's always going to be something that you can do well. I mean, we deserve. I, I, I personally, as a doctor, I think we deserve to be compensated for the amount of work that we do and the amount of responsibility that we take. I mean, if you're putting my your foot in my hands um, and you know letting me alter the shape of your foot permanently, then I, I you know I think there's a certain level of compensation that's deserved for that. Um, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. And I don't know if, you know, other people should necessarily determine what that is. But, you know, there is certainly a, a level of compensation that I think is, is um, you know, it, I, forgive me, but uh, there is a level of compensation that I think is, is deserved. So, right. I, you know, I think that, like, as far as when people, you know, tell you that medicine's going to change and it's going to be, it's not going to be a fee-for-service system um, or it's going to be, you know, it's going to be single-payer. Nobody knows. Nobody well, almost nobody would have predicted that we are where we are now uh, in the middle of a pandemic with a, you know, a celebrity real estate uh, mogul for president. 
<laughs> like, you know, life is surreal and you never know what's going to happen. So we don't know what's going to mm-hmm. happen with medicine. Again, you know, go into medicine because you love it and be ready to adapt to the changes and be ready to work hard and, you know, and treat first and make money second and you'll do well. Ernie, are there any resources that you can recommend students to learn more about podiatry? Uh, yeah. So the uh, American Podiatric Medical Association uh, is the main umbrella organization, sort of like the uh, AMA, the American Medical Association of Podiatry. So the American Podiatric Medical Association is a good place to start. Um, and then the AACPM, which is a, a American Association of College of Podiatric Medicine, um, is also like the um, sort of the umbrella organization of colleges. Uh, and I think they have links to residency and things like that. They also have links there. There's a shadowing program through the AACPM um, that, you know, like I'm on that program and there are other, you know, you can find podiatrists that if you wanted to mentor or, uh, or shadow somebody, which I would, you know, highly recommend talking to somebody in any field of medicine. I would highly recommend talking to doctors. I mean, I did it and, uh, you should definitely, definitely make sense to do and it. And shadow them too. Not just, yeah, uh, shadow them. Yeah. not just talk to yeah, them, right? Go into the office and go into like the worst parts of medicine. Like don't just, and don't start in the operating room. You know, if you're thinking of being a surgeon, don't spend your first day in the operating room. Whenever students come to shadow me and they want to go into the operating room with me, I, I have that as the last thing that they're allowed to do. Like I have them, you know, watching me in the office for at least a few days before they can go into the operating room. Because once you go into the operating room, I mean, that's it. You're hooked. You know, it's done. <laughs> like, you know, there's nothing sexier than the act of walking into a room in, in green scrubs with your hands dripping wet. No wonder you have so many kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're so sexy. Oh, I, you know it. I walk around like that at home. That's how all I walk the time. In, that's how I walk into the dining room. You know, everybody stands up for me. They put towels on my hands. You know, they put a mask on my face. Yeah. So, a strange household you have, but I yeah, can understand. Well, you know, it's it's uh, you know there. You know, there's a joke here, but I can't say it on your podcast. <laughs> After when we're off the air, well, we're off the air. Yeah, but, uh, it's a PG PG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, of course. Where can people learn more about you, Ernie? Oh, whether it's a student well, or people as a, uh, as a or, patient, or if you want to make an appointment, make an um, appointment. Yeah, doctorisaacson.com is my website. D o c t o r i s a a c s o n. So that, spelled out, doctorisaacson.com. Yep, doctorisaacson.com. That's my website, and that's probably the best place to start. Um, you can see my two offices. Uh, my third office is not uh, on there yet, but we're working on that. The third um, office is the one in Suffolk. Correct. Yeah, all the way out in Long Island. In Long Island, got it. Yeah, you can see it on the map. So, and uh, you, you have other social media? Uh, I do. Yeah, I have an Instagram feed. I think. Yeah, uh, at Doctor Fun uh, Doctor Dot Fun Guy. How do you spell that? D o c t o r dot Fun Guy F u n g u y. G u y. Got yeah, it. I am at Doctor Isaacson uh, on Twitter. D r i s a a c s o n. I have to warn you. I, and I also have, there's a Facebook page there somewhere. I, I haven't been active in social media in the past few months. You know, we just haven't been posting anything. Yeah, posting understandable. Yeah, we're not posting anything. I'm not doing a bunch of COVID updates. Nobody needs to see, you know, any. This, we're, I think we're, we're oiske COVID. We, we got enough COVID out there that, uh, you know, you can't go on any website now without seeing COVID. So I, I spared <laughs> people the, uh, you know, the misery of seeing that on my website. But uh, other than just basic information. Ernie, uh, you also have a bunch of videos online as well. I sure do. And Educational uh, and, videos. And I am wearing clothing for all of them. Um, yeah so <laughs> not those type of videos yeah right exactly separate yeah. conversation <laughs> oh yeah exactly yeah well that's how, I, that's how i supported myself through school um so uh yeah i do i do they're on my website and it's about different uh, varying foot conditions and i would tell you that uh, you know the cool thing about these videos richard is that uh, people come to see me 
despite having watched those videos. Oh, really? Yeah, they that's great. Up. Yeah, and that's what I usually what I tell them. Like, you know, they say, oh, I saw your video. And uh, I say, where do they find your videos? Uh, it's on the website and on YouTube. Okay. I believe if you search me on YouTube, I think my website's my, uh, and we actually have a full on bunion surgery that we film. Ah, yeah, so there's another resource for people if they want to know a little bit more about what you're doing yeah, see in podiatry. Yeah, see what it looks like. See my, those are my hands. In it. <laughs> so, yeah. Ernie, it's been great having you on this podcast. Yeah. A lot of fun and laughs. And, yeah. um, I really appreciate you uh, appreciate you participating in this. Yeah, listen, it's my pleasure. I hope uh, I hope it was informative for your listening audience. And uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I mean, use any of those platforms to get in touch with me. Don't like PM me or DM me or anything like that. Just yeah. uh, shoot me an email through my website. It's probably the best way to get a hold of me or call the office. Uh, and uh, if anybody's in the New York area, uh, if, um, if you want to come and shadow me, uh, we have students coming in all the time. It's, I'm more than happy to have somebody come in. Um, if, uh, if you're not in the New York area, we will provide round trip airfare and hotel accommodations for anybody who wants to shadow me. Are you serious? No, but, uh, <laughs> but you can come in. No. <laughs> I might sign up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Looking yeah. for a free trip to New York. <laughs> so, um, All right. Well, listen, thanks a lot. I'm yeah. going to put your resources on the, um, the webpage okay. uh, right. episode. So that'll be there, there. Yeah. All right. I'll be there as well. All right. All right. Okay. That was Dr. Ernie Isaacson, a podiatrist here in New York City. I hope you got a lot out of that as well as a few laughs, as I certainly did. If you want to get a hold of Dr. Isaacson, as he mentioned just a few minutes ago, you can access him through his website and email him or check out his Instagram and his YouTube and also his Twitter accounts. If you like what you're hearing, please put a review out there uh, for this uh, podcast um, or even just uh, subscribe. That will really help bring attention to this podcast and make this resource more available and more recognizable to other people that may be interested in this. So thanks again for your for listening. I really appreciate it, and I hope you will come visit us again. Thank you. You've been listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin. If you want to find out more about me, or about the podcast, please go to healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will tune in again. <laughs>